You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. How do terrorists actually communicate online? A lot like criminals, Trend Micro finds. More bank breaches may be queued up, Kaspersky Labs warns. Ransomware remains a threat, and the FBI says again that you shouldn't pay. Investors look at the cyber sector, and some VCs put some money on it. And hey there, all you people who hold clearances. Did you know that President Putin and Supreme Leader Khamenei are concerned about your privacy? Neither did we. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, May 4th, 2016. How terrorists actually communicate online has been scrutinized lately. The conclusions people draw or jump to about how ISIS works in cyberspace have informed or inflamed the crypto wars. Trend Micro yesterday published a timely study in which they took a close look at online terrorist communications. Their conclusions emerged from the study of more ordinary forms of cybercrime. The researchers found that terrorist groups have a lot technically in common with their underworld brothers and sisters. Both classes of mischief-makers abuse legitimate services. Both crooks and terrorists work to establish and maintain anonymity. Both need to work with unskilled collaborators. In this last respect, their needs and interests diverge a bit. Criminal gangs use disposable mules. ISIS aims at the sort of inspiration that might both inspire a mass movement and stand in for fragile command and control of terrorist cells. The financial sector continues to receive attention from the hacktivist criminal Axis. Kaspersky warns that hackers who breached the Qatar National Bank have hit a second unnamed bank and will be releasing stolen data soon. The group is thought to be based in Turkey. Nothing new today on Op Icarus, the opening round in the anonymous campaign to punish the world's banks for crimes against humanity. Ransomware continues to circulate. The FBI issued another warning about the threat at the end of last week and has again urged victims not to pay. While malicious email links remain common vectors, they're not the only ones. Fox IT has outlined how ransomware purveyors are abusing vulnerabilities in remote desktop protocol installations as an infection route. Such RDP vulnerabilities are of particular concern to corporate networks. Chances are, unless you're in the power distribution biz, you really don't think all that much about electricity. In most of the developed world, electrical power is available 24-7, and it's been that way for decades. But as electrical grids become more connected to networks, they're also connected to potential vulnerabilities. John Dixon is a principal with the Denim Group. You've essentially taken what was really a closed system, electrical distribution and creation, 
and all of the industrial controls around it, and maybe they bit more open. And if you look at electrical utilities in any country, they're usually split between uh, the folks responsible for the the distribution or production side and the folks that run the internal IT network, those two entities are starting to merge the cultures, the security concerns, and that's what's creating much of this clash of cultures. Part of the reason for this culture clash are the different needs and tempos of the teams involved in various areas of the production environment. You have a production network that is a little bit more sit and forget. The, the lifetime life cycle of some of these systems may be measured in decades. Can, you know, compare that with the, the network world and the IT world, where you're upgrading an, uh, operating systems at least on an every other year basis, and your infrastructure is being swapped out at least every three to five years. So it's a, just a much more dynamic and much more changing uh, network, and it creates all these different interesting interactions. Utility companies typically aren't under the same kind of constant attacks that, say, financial institutions experience because there aren't the same sort of financial incentives. But John Dixon warns utility companies not to be complacent. The challenge with the electrical industry is the fact that the likely attacker is going to be what we call a nation state, a country. And if that country has a national interest to knock somebody off the grid for a week or two, that is particularly uh, worrisome. And most electrical utilities are not equipped to defend against that level of threat. That's John Dixon from the Denim Group. Their website is denimgroup.com. In industry news, investment analysts are looking nervously at FireEye. The industry bellwether is due to release results late tomorrow after markets close in New York, and some analysts think sales channel confusion, intensified competition, and product pricing may lead to a disappointment. Venture Capital, despite some fears to the contrary, continues to reach some security startups. DF Labs, a Milan-based company that offers automated cyber incident response and management, has just secured $5.5 million in Series A funding from Evolution Equity Partners. Michigan's Duo Security received a $2.5 million grant from the state's Strategic Fund. This is a workforce development grant. Duo will hire up to 300 employees as a result of the funding. Finally, as the U.S. mulls changes to its security clearance management systems, considering increased monitoring of online behavior for insider threats and possible adoption of a FICO-like threat score for cleared personnel, some surprising observers express some surprising concerns. Iran's Press TV and Russia's Sputnik News are there for you, Fort Meade, worried about your privacy and civil liberties. So you've got this going for you. Vladimir Vladimirovich and Ali Khamenei have got your back. It's nice people care, but somehow this strikes us with cognitive dissonance, as if Chancellor Palpatine and Supreme Leader Snoke were to position themselves as protectors of the Gungan. Well, may the fourth be with you, Padawans. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. 
Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Jonathan Katz is a professor of computer science at the University of Maryland and director of the Maryland Cybersecurity Center, one of our academic and research partners. Jonathan, I know one of your areas of research is digital signatures. In fact, you wrote a book on the subject. What do we mean when we refer to digital signatures? Digital signature is our mechanism for providing message integrity in the public key setting. And basically the way they work is that uh, one party will generate a pair of keys, a, a public key and a matching private key, and then they can distribute their public key widely and, uh, of course, keep their private key uh, secret and known only to themselves. And then what they can do is they can take any message and sign it using their private key to generate what's called a signature and release that along with the original message. And anybody in possession of that party's public key can then verify that that signature is a valid signature on that message with respect to that public key. And this uh, serves as a proof that the party in question actually did affix their signature, did compute their signature over that message, and said that the message actually originated from them. And so what are the areas where digital signatures are most likely to be used? Well, digital signatures are actually used quite widely. Uh, One of the ways in which they're used perhaps most uh, often is in the uh, SSL protocol. Uh, And basically what they are used for is as a component in proving to a user that you are actually connecting to the website that you intended to. So, for example, when you go online and try to connect to Google.com, for example, uh, there's a complicated protocol that takes place, but underlying that is a a digital signature that actually proves that the party at the other end that you're communicating with is a party who has Google's public key. And then uh, presumably the only party in possession of that matching private key is Google, and so that serves as proof that the person at the other end whom you're communicating with is Google themselves. So is this an area of ongoing development? Well, it is. Uh, And one of the big concerns nowadays is the potential for quantum computers, which, uh, as we know, have the potential to break all public key cryptography currently used on the Internet. And so one thing people are looking at is at so-called post-quantum digital signature schemes that would be secure even in the the advent of uh, quantum computers. Jonathan Katz, thanks for joining us. Don't forget, we'd like to hear your questions for our academic and research partners. If you have a question, you can email it to questions at thecyberwire.com.
Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. Thank you.